Revelation 3, 7 to 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patience and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the word of God. One of the frustrating experiences New Yorkers inevitably have is when you're on a train on the subway and you need to transfer to a different train and you pull into your station and there across the platform is the train you need to transfer to. So your doors open and you quickly go across the platform and you stand in front of the closed doors of the other train. And sometimes you can stand there for a minute waiting for the doors to open. And then the train leaves without ever opening the doors. It's this puzzle. Why does that happen? Why would the train sit there all that time when you could have gotten on? Uh, and it doesn't. And so that those doors being shut to you, not letting you in. Now, if we had confidence that the New York subway system was one of those that every five minutes another train would come, um, even if we were running a little bit late, it wouldn't be a huge deal. But anyone who spent 25 minutes for a train, then not knowing why you weren't led into that train or when the next train will come, it, it does create quite a frustrating experience. And this, uh, the imagery of, of the door being shut uh, where we want to go, you know, a lot of people have used over the years uh, images describing life as a journey, as a path where we're going somewhere. And therefore, uh, the idea of having open doors is part of just the way we describe things about, you know, whether or not you have the opportunity to, uh, to, to switch jobs, will there be an open door to, to go into a new job? The idea of, of uh, things being open and shut, maybe it's easy enough for us to access. But this last year, 2020, has been a year where there's been a lot of shut doors, using that metaphor, where, where the kinds of things we normally have access to, uh, we don't. It, it was just a very limited year, and it left many of us feeling like we're going nowhere. We're lost. We're anxious. And so because of that, we've been looking in the month of December as we've been anticipating Christmas and now that Christmas has come, we've been looking at one of the, one of the favorite for many hymns of this season, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Great in so many ways, uh, but these are ancient lyrics or old lyrics, I should say. Um, and, and it's a reminder to us that life is 
always been filled with challenges and struggles, but God's people have prayed and we've prayed for God to come into our hard situations. And so each week we've been looking at a different stanza of the hymn and we've considered uh, the imagery or the language that Christians have used throughout the ages rooted in the Bible that have offered them encouragement and help as they've prayed. So today we're looking at the, this is the last one in this short uh, December series. And we're looking at the last stanza where the, the, the song, the longing that we have, O come thou key of David, come. Now, uh, for those of you musically inclined, this is not like, okay, we were, we have been in the key of C major and now we're, uh, you know, going into B minor or something. So the key of David is not a musical key. I think Melissa in her children's sermon probably gave us the, the best uh, picture of a key that opens and closes a lock for a door. Uh, we're longing for the key of David to come. And this imagery comes from Isaiah chapter 22. You could read that there, the Christmas stories. If you're ever playing a Christmas trivia game in the Bible and you have no idea and you have to guess a reference, odds are it's either in Isaiah, Matthew, or Luke. That's not everything, but that's where a lot of the Christmas stories uh, and imagery come from. But, but it, the pulling together of the story of Jesus coming, fulfilling so many promises um, one of the things that he fulfilled was this, uh, this image of, in Isaiah, this reference to a key of David. This morning, we're looking at the last book of the Bible in the way that we have it ordered, the book of Revelation. Um, this letter to the church in Philadelphia, where, where Jesus is referred to as the key of David. And so what we're going to do this morning in going through uh, and looking at Revelation 3 is I'm going to look at each of the lines in this stanza but in reverse order. Uh, from, from, from the end of the song up, uh, there's the idea of closing the path to misery and then making the safe, safe the way that leads on high and opening wide our heavenly home. That's all part of the same stanza. So we're just going to look at each of those and interact with Revelation 3 a little bit. So I'm going to begin with, with the hymn's ending, close the path to misery, at least in the version in our hymnal. Sometimes hymnal swings things around. Close the path to misery. I think that's probably the kind of prayer most of us most naturally pray. You know, as a church, we need to constantly remind each other in our prayer lives, we should remember that the Christian life is really about this open door that Jesus has that we look in and we see the greatness of God and we know the hope of where we're going. And so we want a devotional life where, where we begin the day, Lord, you are good. We begin with worship and thanksgiving. Uh, but most of us are bogged down in the details of our lives, and we're always troubled by things, and it's more natural for us to pray, oh, Lord, close this door to misery. Here's this thing that I hate. Here's this struggle that I have, and I don't want it to get worse. Our fear often fuels our prayer more than our, um, our gratitude. We need to work on that, but the reality is, walking through this world, there's always something to trouble us. And so it's very appropriate that throughout the ages, God's people pray, close the path to misery. It's something we desire. Uh, Jesus says something quite provocative. He says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Many will find that. But narrow is the path that leads to life. He's saying, I am the gate. I'm the one who will lead you on that path. You want to go to misery, you've got lots of options. Do whatever you feel. Follow anyone you like. Um, there's a, a ton of options open to you if you want to go down the path of destruction. But if you want the path of life, Jesus says, very few are going to really trust me and listen. And it's quite challenging, provocative. I remember as a non-Christian, I didn't, I didn't like this. 
And yet, what is it not to like? He's offering you life. And yet, is, is it pride? Is it confusion? Is it a lack of trust? All of us need to grapple with that. But what Jesus says is, if you want a path to misery, you've got tons of options. I was reading this week, a woman who wrote of her experience with alcoholism, and she drank a bit, didn't have a major drinking problem, and her life had struggles. Those two were simultaneously. She was a perfectionist. She was always dissatisfied when things weren't perfect. And every now and then she would drink a little bit, and that's how she would manage it. But in her story, what she wrote was that when she had kids, that pushed her over the, over the edge. She was used to having things in order and control, and she was able to make things happen. Once she became a mom, she found that she was always behind, always discouraged, always overwhelmed. And what she wanted to do to find help for it is to find community. So she joined a couple of social media groups of these different moms groups. And, and in her experience, she said there were often these jokes in the particular groups she was part of having to do with wine and alcohol. So there were these memes that would come up, um, you know, what do you have when you add wine and dinner is winner. Uh, and these little things like that, that she said they were subtle, but somehow it normalized for her that drinking more and more as a way of coping with struggling, feeling insecure as a parent, was normal. It was acceptable. In her, in her mind, she said, I knew this wasn't good, but there was something about the community that, that lured me further down. She wasn't, you know, trying to, to shift the blame to them. She was sharing her own experience, but she basically said, I knew this wasn't good, but, but it seemed like it was just part of the culture. And I went down that road until for me, it became a real problem. I was becoming a worse and worse mother um, by trying to manage my inability to deal with not feeling like I was a good mother. And so for her, it, there was a radical path that she needed to, to shut that door and go into recovery. And that's why she wrote this story that I happened to just you know, read, read a snippet of. But it's a reminder to me that, that there are lots of paths that we, we don't even know that we're walking down. We're just doing life with other people. And, and this prayer here that says, close the path to misery, there's a humility in praying it, not simply in saying this world is hard and it's coming against me, but even to the degree to say, even when the world is going well, there's something about my judgment, about my desires, whatever it is, that, that the path of misery, I will easily find myself further down. But the path of life is just hard. And so there's this prayer for people who are starting to experience that misery. Uh, close that. And so in verse 8, uh, in the, these, these words to encourage the church in Philadelphia. So when you're reading about the, the letter to Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, don't think Liberty Bell, don't think Betsy Ross and Ben Franklin. Uh, this is Philadelphia that would have been in modern Turkey. So he's writing to them and he says in verse eight, I know you have but little power. And so, so here are people, you know, what, what is the experience of the powerless in our world? A lot of doors are closed. The doors of opportunity, the doors of the things we want, of, of jobs and wealth and satisfaction and prestige, often those get closed to the weak and the vulnerable. But there's lots of open doors. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the ghetto has wide open doors with lots of drug dealers that will invite you into their car for a bit. And, and so, so there's this sense in which he's writing to people who, who are actually being faithful. What's interesting, you read the seven letters that, 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 uh, that you read in Revelation 2 and 3, and, and most of them have correction rebuke. But, but here's a group of, of people that are weak, the kind of people that we may not pay attention to. And actually, Jesus doesn't correct them. He encourages them. He says, I know you have, but little power. 
And, and yet Jesus is pleased with them. And, and then in verse nine, there's this challenging verse where he, he refers to the synagogue of Satan. And, and what we imagine was going on is this is a group of people who, who are professing the name of Jesus. And, and it's, a, it's an identity that's causing trouble wherever they go. So in the broader secular culture, Roman society, look, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you need to participate in our other uh, cultural activities like acknowledging these, uh, the other gods of the pantheon. And the ones who follow Jesus won't do that. Now we have a problem with them. But at least they have their own community of faith. And, you know, 21st century people, we think of Christianity and Judaism as two distinct religions. But in the first century, you know, Jesus was the key of David. Uh, that's that's the, uh, the language we're using here. He, he came from this line, John, who writes these words, are Jewish. You know, the early Jews continued to worship at the temple if they were in Jerusalem, or they joined with the synagogue if they were scattered about. Uh, and so these Philadelphians would have, uh, either if they were Jewish and they believed Jesus was the Messiah, remained part of the synagogue, or if they were non-Jews, they might have desired to go to the synagogue to say, that we're, we have the scriptures, we're trying to work out the truth in our faith. Um, and yet, for any number of reasons, it, it seemed that over time, as, as, as you get into the 70s and the 80s of the first century, more of a distinction is being made. And some of those who held to the name of Jesus were not simply being alienated by the secular world, but by the, the Jewish community. And so uh, in, in first century Philadelphia, maybe there were three or 4,000 Jews, we don't know. And there may have been 30 or so people who called on the name of Jesus. We don't know exactly, but just in terms of estimates, just to give you a picture of, of the, the kind of um, uh, relationships there. So, so, so those who would have held to the name of Jesus would have been this small, powerless group that are now rejected everywhere. And if they profess the name of Jesus, they're not going to be welcomed anywhere. And so Jesus encourages them to say, I know you have little power. And then in, in, in verse 8, he says, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that what I hear about in much of the United States where there's a Christian culture that's established, non-Christians often feel like you just need to sort of keep your atheism or your lack of devotion kind of quiet. You just learn the language and, and you could get by. I understand that that happens in, in the Southern United States, Midwest perhaps. In New York, we experience the opposite. New York, there's a lot of Christians in the city, but, but proportional to the, to the millions, it's a small number. I've, over the years, I've spoken to many people at Emmanuel who have said, when I go to work and they ask what I did this weekend, I don't know that I want to say that I was in the church retreat because they're going to make assumptions about what they read about Christians in the news or whatever bad experiences they've had. So I better be quiet about it or my career. I may, I may get shut out. There's a lot of us that feel these subtle pressures that we need to, to, to hide the name of Jesus a little bit so it doesn't hinder us. And here Jesus is saying, I know that, that identifying with my name is not giving you access to power. Um, but I'm encouraged that you're keeping my word. And what is the word? Well, verse 10, he says, you've kept my word about patient endurance. And so here's a powerless community that's being worn out and they're holding to the name of Jesus and Jesus is pleased with them and he wants to encourage them, but, but they want to give up. And he's trying to, unlike the other churches that Jesus writes to where he needs to correct them, you're starting to compromise. Jesus is saying to them, you're wanting to compromise perhaps, but don't. Remain faithful. And so uh, this prayer that many of us will pray, close the path to misery. Jesus says, if you want to remain on the path to life, the path is forward looking. So Christianity, you don't, you don't erase the path. 
the past. Um, your history matters. Your identity matters. Uh, what happened to you matters. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is, but our past is not so defining that if there's troubles there, it doesn't hold us back. There's a, a new beginning offered to us. It, and, and that's very promising. But sometimes because we're afraid, we don't know what the future is, or we think that the future is threatening. We desire to stop or we desire to go back. And the reminder is, well, your past matters. Your, the identity that has been formed matters. But who you are becoming and where Jesus is leading you matters more. So hold fast to his name. And, and so we do so praying, Lord Jesus, close the path to misery. Because <laughs> I'm too weak. I don't want to go down. It helped me. I'm struggling. And so that's something that, that we pray. I want to encourage you as we're going into 2021, don't be ashamed to make that your prayer. Lord, I am tired. I'm wanting to stop. I'm wanting to give up. I'm wanting to go back. I'm wanting to, to go where, it's, where it appears easier. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. I have the path of life. And so let's pray. Close the path of misery then. Help me. So that's just the first thing. So he, he, here's a second part of this, this hymn. Uh, make safe the way that leads on high. So that's what we want. Close the path to misery but make safe the way that leads on high. So, so we want to get there. We want, we want to go to the place that leads on high, but, but it's dangerous. We're concerned. We're anxious. We're nervous. Uh, we lack confidence in ourselves. We're concerned about what we don't know. Um, we want safety. Now, again, there's a lot of appropriate Christian admonitions to encourage us to strength. Christians are, aren't meant to be weak and timid. We're, timid. we're meant to be bold and courageous. But Jesus invites those who are naturally weak and timid. And he gives us courage. Um, but if you find yourself wanting safety, often we have to recognize that sometimes we want safety so much that we compromise. So we have to be careful not to do that. But, but to, to stay faithful and to, to want God's protection is appropriate. And so, so, so the way of taking appropriate risks is to say, well, I'm not going to avoid risk and take safety for myself if it, if it means not doing what God commands or teaches me. But I'm going to trust him. But if this starts to seem unsafe with my anxiety, I'm going to pray, Lord, make safe this way. If you're telling me to go this way, I don't want to do it. But, but if it's your way, I'm going to trust it's the right way. Uh, Lord, close the path to misery and make safe the way that leads on high, because my intention is to follow it. And that's the, the, the way of wisdom. So, so Jesus is, encourages this particular church, the Philadelphian church in verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is not a promise to every person. We're reading this, but it's a reminder of God's grace uh, that there are times of testing, times of trial. And we think of testing in an academic model of, okay, he's going to test me, and if I pass, he'll accept me, and if I fail, he'll reject me. But testing here is more about refining. We're on this path, and the path is going to challenge us, and we're going to find out what are we going to remain holding on to and what are we prepared to let go of if we need to let go of something? <laughs> and so often what we do is we want to stop because we want to hold on to everything or we want to let go of what Jesus offers and just go back to what we know. Um, but in this hour of trial, Jesus says to, to, to the Philadelphian church, I see your weakness and I will keep you from this. He's going to make safe for them the path. And Jesus often does that. He answers that prayer and in his kindness, he keeps us safe. But sometimes we go through periods of testing. And this last year has been for many of us a time where we've been forced. Uh, what are you holding on to? What, what is your identity? What is your hope? 
Um, and it's demoralizing when we realize my faith is weaker than I thought. I've hoped in the wrong things. And so when he writes to the Philadelphians, what's interesting thing, uh, one of the things that we know from archaeology and, and, and study of that region is that, that Philadelphia was subject in, in ancient times to earthquakes. And so the idea of living in a community where there would be shaking <laughs> that would tear down foundations goes with the kind of imagery Jesus uses when he talks about building on firm foundations because storms could come. Well, they may not have, have uh, had have been exposed like those around the Sea of Galilee to winds, as we read about in the New Testament, uh, but they were subject to earthquakes. And so as Jesus writes to them, um, and if you read Hebrews 12, for example, if you're looking to read something this week, uh, where there's the admonition to, uh, to not lose our strength, but to press on, to, to uh, lift up our, our drooping posture and to, and to press on, we're told we, we inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the contrast is in this, in this world, sometimes there's a shaking. And a lot of what seems to be a value, a lot of what human beings spend their time building up that seems to give us satisfaction and strength and identity. We're told every now and then we have these periods of shaking where, where those things crumble. And so we're invited to this path of life that Jesus has the key to. He will unlock the gate and open the door and he invites us to walk down it. And we're told if we walk down it, um, you may experience that shaking. But what we're told is that uh, that if you're, if you're on the path of Jesus, um, things will not crumble. Knowing that is helpful because in verse 12, what, he, what, what, G, what uh, John writes, this revelation of Jesus to the church in Philadelphia, when he's saying, keep going, don't lose heart. He says, the one who conquers, the one who holds to his name and his word, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So Jesus is building a house, a structure. And when he invites us to walk along this path, one of the other images that he gives us is he's, he's building us into this community, this kingdom. And if you would have gone to ancient Philadelphia uh, after experiencing many earthquakes, there would be all sorts of buildings where the ruins were there and the only thing left standing were these pillars. And so you'd see these pillars standing up and then you'd see uh, rocks and stones crumbled around. And so here's this group of people, Jesus says, I know that you have but little power and I know you're being shut out of the religious and the secular communities, but I have opened a door and I will welcome you into my kingdom, my community, and I will make you a pillar in the house of my God. And for people who feel like uh, everything around them is crumbling, they're being shaken, um, when they would look out and say at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, there's, there's synagogues that used to stand that are crumbled. There's temples to the various gods and to the palaces of the king. Uh, and all that standing are these pillars. When Jesus says, I will make you part of the pillars of the house of God. Um, that's a promise that says to people who feel like everything around me is being shaken and torn and I am lacking strength. Jesus says, well, I want you to be strong, but do you feel weak? I know you have little power, but hold to my name, keep my word. And the one who does this, the one who conquers, uh, will be joined into this great temple that Jesus is building that will not be shaken, will not crumble. And so for those who desire safety, <laughs> um, 
the call to follow Christ can be one of the most intimidating things imaginable because it's so contrary to how we naturally think and to how the world works. It takes courage. It takes faith. But we're told at the end of the day, it also takes wisdom. Because if you really look around you, the world we live in is not safe. We can take little for granted and everything is prone to being shaken. But what we're told is when Jesus unlocks the door, <laughs> he alone has the key to open it and you walk through it, he will make safe the way on high. That doesn't mean you won't experience the, the shaking and the quaking and, and things around you won't crumble. But if you hold to his word and to his name, he will make safe the path that leads on high. He will close the way to misery. And so here's the last thing from this hymn. Uh, oh, oh, come, oh, come, oh, come, key of David, come. Open wide our heavenly home. That's what we want, to know that our lives are going somewhere. There, Jesus says the path to destruction is wide and the gate of life is narrow. <laughs> and we know ourselves. And so our prayer is, oh, Lord, if it's narrow, I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to squeeze through it. Lord, open wide our heavenly home. That's what we want. We don't want to go down these self-destructive ways. We don't want to follow what's foolish. And it's so hard. Who of us is bright enough, disciplined enough, uh, lucky enough, whatever it is? Um, Jesus writes to people who are discouraged because Jesus says, I know your weakness and you're being shut out. <laughs> and you started to think there's no place for you in this world. But that's okay because that's the nature of this world. It's a world uh, that creates misery. It shuts the doors. It creates paths that people walk down that they only find once they're down it, that it's a path of misery. And it shuts doors to people who think they're being shut out of what really gives life. And Jesus says, but actually sometimes those shut doors are a kindness because only in our desperation are we willing to, to hear the voice of Jesus who says, my way doesn't look easy, but it's actually the wide way to a heavenly home. And we want that door to be as wide as possible. And that's our prayer. And so Jesus in verse eight says, I have set before you an open door. That's what Jesus offers us. That's why he introduces himself as the key of David. He has the power to open and to shut. So here there's a synagogue that's shutting you out. We don't want you coming because if you're here, you're going to corrupt our people or you're going to draw the attention of the secular people. We want you out. <laughs> and Jesus says, okay, well, if, if people kick you out of their gatherings, that's okay. I alone have this key to David. I alone have been appointed by the father to have authority to open and to close. And therefore, what I open, no one can close. And when I close, uh, no, one, no one can open. And if I open the way for you, no one can shut you out of it. They could shut you out of their own communities. They could alienate you for not living up to their standards, ideals, or their identity. But if I open a door, no one can shut you out. And so what matters here is who is the one who has the key to David? Uh, who is the key of David? And so... Um, Jesus says he's come to open the door, <laughs> the longing of God's people since they've been exiled from Eden and can never get back in. And the prophets and the apostles who said, one day God will open the way again. And Jesus says, I am the key of David. The way is now open. There's a door. And, and he gives imagery here in verse 12. He says, I will write on the one who endures, who holds to my name, who keeps my word. I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, the, the city that will not be shaken, uh, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. And so there he's saying, those who have held my word and have not denied my name, <laughs> hold to that name, Jesus, 
hold to the name, the key of David, and there's more names that, that will be written on you, that the identity of God will be placed upon you. Other people are, are ridiculing your name. They're taking the way of their name, identity. You don't belong with us, whoever we are, whatever power we have. You, you can't be part of our club. You can't be part of our society. You can't be part of our institution. Jesus says, I'm going to write names all over the one. In a sense, he's saying, you, you will belong here. I've made wide the, the gate. And in verse nine, remarkable, he says, and they will learn that I have loved you. And that's the remarkable thing here. Jesus talks to weak, frail people who are being told, does everyone say you don't belong with us? Nobody loves you. Well, there's something that's going to be learned, not just by you, but by everyone. When people hold to my ways, when they believe me, when they don't deny my name, but believe my name, there are, there are names that will be revealed. There's glory and identity. Um, they will learn that I have loved you. And for now, that helps us continue to move forward. This week, I, I uh, heard, heard a story of a friend. Somebody, I, I think she's around my age, I'm not sure, um, but went back to school later in life. So wanted to do a PhD. So it's December, just finished a semester. She's still doing her coursework. And, and she, she took this class with this professor that she really admired and perhaps one of the reasons that she went to that program. I don't know if it's advisor, her advisor. I don't recall if she said that. But she had to write this paper that she killed herself for. So part of it was the hard work of just having to do the research. But clearly for her, there was this admiration for this professor who, you know, is sort of renowned in her own little sphere. And that, that led to part of the emotional investment of writing this paper, of, of not simply wanting to, to learn, but, but to hand in this paper. But, but what it led to was her starting December completely exhausted. She was wiped out, not simply from the discipline, the work, the focus, but also a lot of emotional energy built into maybe aspects of the process that it shouldn't have been there, but the reality is it was. She wanted this teacher that she admires to respect her. So she gets the paper back. And she's reading through it, and, and the teacher is admired because she gives lots of comments, and there's all these you know, notes of, for clarification and correction, and she's reading it, not overly discouraged, but she's, she's there um, recognizing that this is this wise professor, and, and she's just aware she's got so much to learn. That's who she hopes to be one day. But then she gets to the end of the paper, and there's a note from the professor saying, I have a friend who's editing a book, and I would love to submit your paper um, to see if it would be, get accepted. There is no guarantee. I am not promising that it would be accepted, but I think this paper deserves to be read. <laughs> and her response was, boy, I don't, I don't care if it gets accepted. Um, and sh of course she cares. But at that moment, she was thinking less about her career. If this gets accepted there, this will be a step towards tenure, you know, down the road. She was thinking, I so want this person I admire to welcome me <laughs> that whether or not I get accepted, the fact that she is going to advocate for me, she will um, put her name with mine and, and represent me. Um, what she said was interesting. She said, my exhaustion lifted. That's what struck me as she told the story. She was exhausted, understandable. She spent a lot of time working, but I think the exhaustion was the fear of not being good enough and simply being told, uh, this was good, lifted her exhaustion. You know, human beings are remarkably resilient. When you read throughout the ages, the kinds of challenges that people can face, 
But what happens is when we want people to welcome us and to open doors and to accept us, there's something about that that really wears us down, that dehumanizes, that discourages us. This has been a big theme of 2020, right? Who gets shut out? Who gets welcomed? Is this world fair? What Jesus says is, if you hold to my ways and to my name, there are a lot of people that may close the door to you. They shouldn't. It's not a guarantee it'll happen, but don't be surprised when it does. This world does not always work with wisdom, fairness, and justice. But I have opened a way before you. I've opened a door, and I will put my name on you. If you hold to that name, it will be discouraging if people deny you. But if you hold to my name at the end, uh, they will see that I have loved you. And so a starting question for you is, do you believe that Jesus has loved you? That's such a foundational question. And it's so hard because most of us have this mixed sense of, well, of course, Jesus says it, and so I'll believe it. But we know ourselves, and we know how finicky people around us can be. And, and sometimes there's this, this inability to believe, how, how can I know that Jesus really has loved me? Can I believe that Jesus is as loving in a way that overcomes my cynicism, that, that Jesus is different from everyone I've ever seen? Well, even if I can, do I believe that even if he is so loving, can he still love me? And that's where the, the fact that Jesus, who, who says, hold to my name and you will not be shaken, is the one who himself was shaken. He's the one who was sent out of the city of Jerusalem and who was crucified. How do we know Jesus loved us? He loved us enough to lay down his life, that he would have a name that would invite ridicule in order to, to bear that humiliation, shame, and rejection so that he can close the door to misery and open the door of life for us. And what we're told is if Jesus did that, if he laid down his life, we don't need to keep asking the question, but how do I know that he's loving? How do I know that he loves me? We're told it's answered. And yes, all of us will struggle. So we're going to have to continue to pray, Lord, show me that I would know. The interesting thing about this passage is Jesus says, I've seen that you don't have much power. And I want to encourage you in your weakness. It's a way of communicating his love without expressly saying it, but it's clear. He loves the church of Philadelphia. But he doesn't say at the end of the day, you will see that I have loved you. He's writing to people who have said, you've already seen it. You know it's true. The remarkable thing is they will see that I have loved you. And I think something for us to think about as we go into 2021 is, will there be a vindication for having lived a faithful life? And so the first thing is, do you know that Jesus has loved you? You need to get clear on that, that that's the basis. It's not what you've done. It's not your performance. It's the, the love and the generosity of Jesus who gave himself for you. He has the key. <laughs> um, you can't break down the door. You can't sneak in another way. You can't forge your own key. He has the key. He says, I've opened the door by, by coming in and laying down my life. You have to know that. You have to rest in that. You have to believe that the gospel is true, that he loves you. It's not going to be easy, but, but, but just receive that. <laughs> just receive it. Jesus says it. Let's let that be a foundation. Um, but as you keep going and you find that the world says, maybe if you improve a little bit, you'll meet our standards. <laughs> maybe there's somebody else that will welcome you. Uh, as we get discouraged, there's something here that encourages the weak. Hold to my name, Jesus says, and the name of my God will be written on you. 
Hold to my name and the name of the New Jerusalem. There's a name that people don't yet know. My identity will be on you. There's a joining together. If you take my name, I have taken your name. I will bring you along. You'll be like a pillar when everything else gets shaken. But the remarkable thing is there will be a vindication. At the end of the day, if you've held to my name and you've walked through the door that I've opened, one day, be encouraged, those who didn't appreciate, those who didn't recognize you for who you were, those who looked down at you, they will see that I have loved you. And Jesus is the key of David. He's, he's the only one who can open and shut. He can open the, the love of God. He could open the, the doors of the new Jerusalem. Jesus says, I alone can really pronounce what's of value. So don't get overly discouraged by what people think and whether or not you have access to what they could offer you. But be overly encouraged <laughs> that if you hold to the name of Jesus, he has numerous names that he will plant on you. And everyone will see it. They will see that not only have you held to the name, but you, you held to the name above all names. You held to the true name, the one who has the power to give life. And that should encourage us in this shaking world when we realize, I don't know what's going to endure. <laughs> I don't know what my future will look like. Well, let's pray. Make safe the way on high. Close the path to misery. But Lord, open wide our heavenly home. Let's go into 2021 trusting Jesus, the key of David. He alone can open the way. And he says, I've opened a door. Hold to my name and to my word, and it will be worth it. And so I would encourage you to, to have that be the, the way you walk into this year. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we come to you as people who are timid. We are afraid, and we want our lives to be good. So we pray that you'd close the path to misery. And we are afraid that the path you call us to um, will be hard and that we'll fail. And so we pray that you'd make safe the way that leads on high. But Lord, open that door to us. We pray for anyone here who has not walked through the door, uh, shine your light out of it that they would see the way. We pray for any who has walked through the door but wants to go back. <laughs> Lord, pull us forward. Uh, keep us safe. Hold on to us. Lord, where we want to let go of your name, we pray that you would hold on to our names. Sustain us, that we would be like pillars that would not be shaken uh, in this tumultuous time. And Lord, at the end of the day, we want that vindication to know that because Jesus has loved us, we will receive a crown. We will hold fast uh, to what you offer us, and we will not let go of it. And Lord, hold fast to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.